how are you supposed to be an informed citizen unless you know right. you know about where the idea of equality came from, right. or or if you know about the history of the word equity, you know, and right. what 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 alternatives to democracy were pursued in the name of equal outcomes? Fear not, dear listener. The path to enlightenment is before you. Leave the darkness behind. Open your eyes, grab your spears, and brush your teeth. For you will be led to the battlefield, armed with sharp minds and fresh breath. Stand by. Welcome to the show with two guys so good looking we don't show you our faces. One small part of a larger movement for freedom pressured into silence by a culture that seeks nothing less than total obedience. Your hosts Scott and Max are here to help you to find the courage and resources to become uncancelable. This is Cancelled Out. Welcome, everybody. This week, we have Jed Hardings in the hot seat for our special interview. Uh, We're going to call these things from here on out canceled conversations. Uh, Gives them a little bit more pizzazz than just an interview. (laughs) But uh, Jed is a very accomplished individual, as you'll get to hear when he introduces himself. And he's doing a very important work here locally uh, in Cincinnati and trying to establish a charter school. And he will outline his goals and, and the, the curriculum and what he's all about and what the school is going to be all about. Uh, they've still got a few more hoops to jump through and things to get set up before they can officially launch. But uh, we hope that you'll enjoy hearing about some of the challenges that charter schools are facing in particularly Ohio, but these are challenges faced across the nation by well-meaning individuals trying to do what is best for children's education. And we hope that you'll support him any way you can, whether it's sending your child to the school once it opens or perhaps a donation, but at the very least, uh, getting involved and hearing and in being a part of the events that they put on and letting other people know that you know who may be interested in having this as their child's source of uh, education in grade school. And so with that, we will throw it on over to to Max. Welcome, guys, back to another interview. Um, This seems to be uh, the most popular segment at this point people are really by interested far. yeah by far <laughs> by far, the, by the, far. The, the the last numbers we got were, were really awesome to see and the feedback we've gotten on it is really awesome people are really interested especially in the topic of education because that's actually seems to be what we're, we've been talking a lot yeah. about in our interviews so far yeah. is uh, uh education in cincinnati so um 
that's that. Uh, go back and listen to our last interview with Bob Bibb uh, from uh, that was the 12-4 episode, 12-4. Yeah. So go back and listen to that. It was a really, really good conversation. He's the guy running for uh, uh, school board for Forest Hills School District. So uh, definitely check that out. It's, it's a fascinating discussion. But today, uh, again, on the topic of education, we have Jed Hardings. Um, so we uh, got in touch with uh, Jed Hardings through uh, just a, a mutual friend, and uh, they were telling us about this school that he is uh, starting up in Cincinnati and uh, really interested in the approach that he's taking here. Um, we had a little bit of a discussion with him already, um, and it was just it was it was fascinating uh, some of yeah. the things that they that they're doing and the the philosophy uh, behind starting up this school. So uh, I'm going to start by uh, introducing you, Jed. Please uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, hi, Max. Uh, th thanks for having me on the show. And um, so I, I'm a native Cincinnatian. Grew up here. Went to Catholic schools uh, for a long time, and then Notre Dame, and um, pursued graduate school in, for neuroscience, and got my doctorate. Uh, and I was actually at Notre Dame on an ROTC scholarship, so I then went after graduate school to serve in the military as an Army officer for eight years, and uh, developed sure. my. Mm -hmm, yep. Uh, developed my research career and then decided to pursue that back here in my hometown at, uh, at the University of Cincinnati. So I've been there for 13 years now uh, in the Department of Neurosurgery. You're currently at UC? Yeah, I'm at UC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just came, came across this idea of, uh, of these uh, classical schools um, a few years ago. I didn't know classical education was a thing on the K through kindergarten through 12th grade level. Um, when I heard about it, it just clicked with me on so many levels um, that it, it took hold of me. And um, so here we are today. So what is classical education? Can you define that for us? Yeah, classical education. I mean, really, it's it's the education that uh, that all schools taught um, decades ago, uh, centuries ago. Uh, it's, the, it's the type of education that all of the founding fathers of our country had, um, you know, Madison and Jefferson in particular, really cultivated um, uh, their understanding of the, the history of the Greek and Roman republics. But what classical education is, it could be understood as being a traditional uh, uh, education, and that refers to three main, three main areas. That's the aims of the education, you know, why are you going to school? Uh, the subject matters that are taught, and also the methods of teaching um, those subjects. So uh, with the aims, um, and I think this is a critical differentiator, uh, what you hear about today in a lot of schools is college and career readiness. It's preparing um, students for the 21st century economy, which has us always looking to the future rather than learning about the past and learning about the great things that made uh, our society what it is and, and understanding the, the world and the society and our culture around us. Um, so you really, you can't disregard the past. Um, it's kind of like a foundation, the, right? I mean, you get, you're, you're building off of the past. Anything you do in the future, you're building off of the past, right? So you kind of have to understand where you're coming from to really know where you're going. Absolutely. You, you can pick anything from, from our current culture, from the logos of, you know, companies to uh, a sitcom on TV, and your classical education will inform you where that came from mm -hmm. and help you understand it better. Um, but really, the aims are, are to prepare individuals for life rather than um, a more utilitarian approach of just giving you skills for a job and to make money. It's to make you a good human being and a good citizen of the United States. 
So how does that differ from the current education system as you see it? Well, again, it's, um, you know, in lots of ways, it's all the subject matters and, and it's the methods of instruction. As far as the methods, there's a heavy reliance today on technology, mm-hmm. and it, which is often replacing the job of the teacher in the classroom. To, it, we're, we're no enemies of technology. It's, it's useful, but it's just a tool. And it's not as good of a tool as a human being to, uh, to, to serve as a role model for a young man or woman and to mentor them um, in subject matters. And so the subject matters are quite different as well. You see today a lot of uh, elective courses and really advanced courses, you know, things like uh, neuroscience might be an example or, you know, things that should be coming uh, more at the professional development stage on the college level and thereafter. Um, whereas core, core subject matters that we think are foundational um, are getting left out. Um, and this has been a trend for a long time, 50 maybe 100 years. So, you know, one example, one of my favorites is uh, European history, which when I went to school, that was uh, an option. It was an elective. But why shouldn't that be required? Because it was European history, particularly modern European history, where the whole idea of um, that man should be free and, and treated equally under law, regardless of, you know, your background or whatever, that's where it came from. That's where it was developed. That's where universities started flourishing. That's where our modern day banking system was developed, where uh, right. uh, a free market economy. I mean, so how can that be an elective course? That That's foundational. Right. And we can keep going. I mean, studying logic, people talk today, all love to talk about critical thinking, but do they ever require a course in logic? No, no. they don't. So, no. so that, that's one of the differences. When did that start? When and why did that start to change? So what you're, it sounds like what you're saying is public education. Att- uh, well, maybe it wasn't even public education back then, but um, uh, education used to be about a classical uh, approach. Um, but you say about a hundred years ago, it started to change. What what caused that change? Do you think? You know, I'm no I'm no expert in in the history of this, but it was definitely connected with the um, uh, progressivism uh, movement of the, the 20s and the 30s. Mm. I believe it was a gentleman named John Dewey, Dewey who introduced those concepts into public education, um, and I think that the teachers' unions might have had uh, something big to do with it as well. What's their motivation for that? Why 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 do they why do they find the need to remove classical education? Do they do they not see the value? And what why don't what's their argument? That's hard for me to answer. I, okay. I think I but I I've, I remember reading for sure that Dewey uh, emphasized that he, he didn't want to teach, he didn't want children to become independent thinkers. He wanted you know his aim was more towards um, cultivating citizens to become effective producers for the state and to contribute to the collective. Um, that all sounds very Marxist and very sinister, sure but I think that there's there's elements of truth to all of it. So modern education, uh, as far as you're concerned, sounds a lot more like uh, indoctrination than uh, critical thinking or, or free thinking. Yeah, I mean, pretty much pick up a newspaper and you hear everything that's going on these days, um, especially in the last year or so. Sure, sure does sound like that. Yeah, and... and uh, as far as you know, feeding them into the college machine too, and getting them into all this debt, you know, uh, that was—I remember—that's what it was all about for us. It was, it was all about college prep when I was in high school, and I didn't end up going to college until after I got out of the military. Um, and you know, they paid for it, so I didn't end up getting into debt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, good, but, good, yeah. 
but but the uh, but still, and, and even when I went to college, I'm like, it's a good thing I didn't pay for this, right? You know, because good lord. But the uh, yeah, the, it's it's very much about preparing for college. And first off, I it, we've in my opinion, uh, not everybody is meant to go to college. I might even argue that if yeah. I, if it, if I wouldn't if if mine wasn't paid for, I wasn't yep. going to go to college. Some things, yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of those. Uh, it, it's it's not for everybody, but we've we've shifted our culture into thinking that college is supposed to be for everybody, which is how we end up with all these nonsense degrees that people get into debt for. Uh, and yeah, it's just insane. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a classical education, when, when we dive into the, some of the curriculum and the subject matters that, that we teach, they, they sound very sophisticated and extremely challenging. And they, they definitely are on some level, um, but it le- leads some people to, to wrongly think that classical education is just for, you know, the, for the elite or for people seeking a career in the professions, uh, you know, the, the um, you know, white collar professions. But it's just not the case, because, again, it's, it's really providing um, trying to instill an appreciation for what's good and what's true and what's beautiful in the world and in life and, and who we are as human beings. And regardless of what profession you want to go into, whether it's a fashion designer or a lawyer or a welder, it doesn't matter because all, all those things um, can be uh, very meaningfully informed by appreciating what's good and true and beautiful. Yeah. And, the, and the other key, key difference um, here is, is in classical education is that it really does place an emphasis on cultivating uh, character, moral character, civic virtue. And those types of things, which again uh, help help form us all as human beings, and I think it's so critical to incorporate them in the K through 12. Uh, what you do after that, you know, it's up to you because you've been well formed as as a mind and an auto, as and and an autonomous human being, um, and you can you know choose whatever you you like. So then, uh, how did you get uh, connected with this uh, classical academy that you're starting up? You know, really, I, ju- I just developed a very keen interest uh, in this after I took a course, uh, a long 46 lecture course on European history um, that, that connected a lot of dots for me um, and brought together many classical elements of my training and, 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 my, and, and sparked my, my passion for, um, for learning and, and for writing and the humanities as well. Um, so I, I contacted Hillsdale College when I learned about this. My, uh, my nieces uh, uh, began attending one of these um, Hillsdale-affiliated K-12 uh, schools down in Texas. That's when I first learned about it. So I, I contacted Hillsdale, and they had the names of a few other individuals who had, were similarly interested in starting a charter school. And uh, the three of us got together a couple weeks later, and um, we haven't looked back since. So really, this this is a an, in, an initiative of just us as private citizens, and none of us were really involved in educ in K through 12 education before this. Um, but you know, if you listen to Larry Arn, um, he'll tell you any anyone can start one of these schools. It's a lot of work, but it uh, it doesn't require any you know special um, uh, background in in edu- education, primary or secondary. Uh, yeah, I'm going to touch on that here in just a second, but real quick, uh, can you tell us uh, a little bit about Hillsdale College? I'm relatively familiar with it, but uh, I'm, I'm sure some of our uh, listeners are too, but for those that aren't. Well, they're, they're a pretty uh, unique school, and it begins with, uh, with their founding. They were founded by a group of abolitionists in 1844, I believe, um, and they were 
one of the top three, if not the first uh, college in America to admit um, men, women, and all races, you know, regardless of, you know, ethnicity or background or gender and anything I like that. So they were, they were the first, you know, non-discrimination college in the country. Um, so uh, th those are strong credentials and, yeah. um, and they've maintained um, an extreme degree of integrity. Um, I, I always say that, you know, th they're really the most trusted institution in my mind in America. Um, as another example, and I'm not sure if this has been the case since the beginning, but they do not accept a penny from the federal government. They're the only institution of higher education. And maybe I think there's one that's popped up since this, you know, recently, uh, New St. Andrews College, but they don't accept a dollar from the federal mm -hmm. government. They consider it bribe money that um, in, uh, uh, imposes on their mission and um, leads them in a direction that they don't want to go to. Yeah. They, are, um, they are beholden only to their beliefs. and that's can very their. That is, mm -hmm. that is very, I didn't know that either, but that's yeah. very appealing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've taken a strong stance against, uh, you know, the 1619 um, uh, project of the New York Times and uh, led, led the, uh, had a big role in creating the 1776 report um, that caused a lot of waves last summer. Um, and they also carry their philosophy into K through 12 education. They don't make a penny off of their charter schools and they've got 24 of them now across this country. They, they don't accept a dime and they provide uh, a curriculum, they provide guidance, they provide professional development to teachers, to board members. Um, so, you know, it's just, and, and that's, not, that's not even getting into touching on what the actual curriculum is. I mean, and, and how much work has gone into it. Um, but, you know, that, that level of service to this country and the amount of integrity that they have is just a strong attraction. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, the, the Hillsdale College is definitely something we need to uh, pay closer attention to, I think. I've, I've been uh, only uh, at a surface level uh, aware of them and, and their mission. Um, but it's not they, they also offer all kinds of free courses for, for that anyone can sign up for. Um, if you want to, if you want to learn about Aristotle's ethics, you want to learn about the founding fathers, you know, to sign up for their courses. So they do like uh, online courses or something. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, they, so this is their initiative. These, these charter schools that you're, uh, that you're, that you're trying to start here in Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Um, they started their pro. They started their program, but it's really it's really citizens, you know, individuals who um, who decide to start the schools, and it's our responsibility to you know oversee and and set up the schools. They they don't really have a um, a very active hands on approach in running things. Uh, they just really provide guidance and some oversight. Um, so they're not starting these schools. We are, and we apply to them for affiliation. I see. Okay. And there are certain gateways we have to pass through, certain milestones we have to meet um, in order to, main, to, to, to get and maintain that accreditation. What, what kind of work goes into starting up a charter school like this? Because you say you don't really have to have much of a background uh, in sec, uh, either in a primary or secondary education. Um, what, what, what's, what's the workload involved for, for you and for the people you're working with? It's pretty substantive. Um, you know, I've, I've heard other people say, it, it, be, be willing to give up every minute of your free time. Uh, it's a little exaggeration, but, but not entirely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, can be, it can be 20, 30 hours a week sometimes. Um, 
uh, and sometimes sustained for, for several months on, on that level. Um, it just, you know, requires uh, some basic professional skills and, um, and, and most importantly, a passion to do it, um, to, to, to find out, to do the research on finding out the pathways to, to getting a charter uh, in, in your state, you know, the capability to go out and find other board members, to create a website, to write, uh, write grants, um, which might sound complicated, but really it's just mostly sweat equity. You know, you just got to put in the work to look up, look up the things that you need to know about and, and, and uh, a little bit of marketing and PR and some fundraising, you know, it's, it's kind of like just starting up a, a small business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was going to say all that sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So right. people do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, I know that the last time we talked, you were hoping to get some good news on a building. Uh, where does that stand? Yeah, that um, that took a turn for the worse. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, we had we identified a nine-acre property in Evendale that was owned by the village of Evendale. Um, they were pretty encouraging of us over a course of uh, three or four months, and when it got down to things, they decided to. Um, have a public uh, meeting and then a public survey. So that kind of let um, the classical academy out of the bag. And, um, you know, some of the local school district folks uh, weighed in with some pretty heavy opinions. Um, There were a lot of others who, you know, just opposed the sale of the school for uh, uh, the sale of the land for for other um, very legitimate reasons. but anyway, that ended up in a 70-30 uh, vote against us. Hmm. Um, so I think that that, you know, carried some weight. So still on the, the lookout then? Yeah, we're still on the lookout. Um, there's there's several other op- promising opportunities. Some some might be actually uh, better um, than that one. So uh, we're still on track. Yeah. Well, you know, they, God closes one door and opens another one, right? Yep, totally true. And, you know, there were there were a lot of benefits to uh, going through that process as well. Um, we got a lot of followers out of it. Um, as they say, you know, no, no press is bad press. Um, so. Yeah, Jet, was, so you say there were some heavy opinions. Were any of those in relation to the actual educational material or was it just other stuff? Yeah, it was it was exclusively related to there were no there were no heavy opinions really? <laughs> apart from those that related to the curriculum, because uh, one of the important parts about the um, Hillsdale affiliated schools and, and this classical curriculum is that mm-hmm. Hillsdale describes it as an American classical right. uh, education. And what that means is there's um, heavy emphasis on Western and American traditions in history. Um, and in literature in particular. Um, so, for instance, in high school, um, everyone will have a year, of, a year of British literature and a year of American literature, as well as a year of ancient literature. Um, but, you know, a lot of people reacted to the, the focused on the Western tradition as being ethnocentric. And, you know, there were probably a dozen or so um, who explicitly called us racist. Wow. Wow. So, you know, it's that it was that was a tough, tough, uh, tough jabs to take. But um, you know, we're we're from and we our beliefs and we know who we are and what we are and what Hillsdale College is. You know, you get you get a lot of things like you know you're you're just a bunch of uh, you know white Christian nationalists, white supremacists. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. We you know the United States is is the leader of the Western world, the leader of the free world. 
to, to think that it's somehow ethnocentric to, you know, teach all the foundations of what right. made us who we are and yeah. why we were formed the way we are is just really turns the world upside down. Right. Well, it, it, it's, it's no wonder you got people looking at that and thinking that there's uh, just an anti-white bias altogether and anti-European uh, and fr- frankly, anti-American bias. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely Jeez. where that comes from. That's, that's yeah. It's like, it's like patriotism has become a dirty word. Right. Yeah. I mean, but you don't have to love everything that a country does or everything that the government of a country does. I certainly don't, but, right. but, uh, but what it stands for, what it was meant to stand for, what it was founded on. Uh, those are, I mean, even, even if you don't agree with all of it, you still should, uh, be, should want to learn about it and understand it. You know what I mean? Yep. And be able to talk intelligently about it. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So. You know, and, and and how are you supposed to be an informed citizen unless, you know, right. you know about where the idea of equality came from mm-hmm. right. or, or if you know about the history of the word equity, you know, and right. what, what, what alternatives to democracy were pursued in the name of uh, equal outcomes? Yeah. I mean, you we talked about and, and, how, and, and what happened to those countries? What does that mean? If, you know, where does yep. that come from? Yeah. Where does the electoral college come from? Before you yeah. talk about abolishing it, let's 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 first make sure we all understand why it was set up that way. Exactly. Right. So uh, let's get into the curriculum itself. Do you want to uh, talk about what what the curriculum looks like uh, in a classical education like this that you're setting up? Yeah, sure. So I mean, it, so it's the it's the it's the um, the classic liberal arts and sciences. So it's you know um, language arts, math you know, science, biology, chemistry, um, music, um, art, you know, all, all the traditional subjects, but how they're, how they're taught and, and how they're emphasized is a little bit different. Um, and there's some additional, you know, subject matters in, in high school that, that you won't see anywhere else, like, you know, studying moral philosophy, which is the study of, um, you know, wh- what it means to be a human and how should we relate to each other in society, mm-hmm. um, as well as economics and, you know, some other core curriculum requirements like I was referring to before. But it really goes back to, you, you, to some very simple things like you, you, you look at how uh, the English language reading is taught today and it's distinguished in a classical school because it, classical schools take a traditional approach of explicit phonics. You learn all the sounds that the different letters and combinations of letters make. Um, that's followed by explicit grammar and sentence diagramming, and you learn you learn to write in cursive. So, I mean, that's just that's the way all of our grandparents were were taught. Um, but today, those methods have deviated. Um, I guess been updated in, in in other people's thinking to where you're taught to read now in many schools by just looking at a word. So, you want to learn the word cat. You learn to recognize what C A T together. It's called whole word word learning. Um, and so that may, that may work for, for a few grade levels, but then what happens when you get to, you know, more, more advanced words, multisyllabic words, what happens when you come to see a word that you've never encountered before? Well, you're not going to memorize the appearance of every sequence of 26 letters in the alphabet. So, you know, unless you have a really a solid foundation for how to figure out what words mean and how to pronounce them, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and, and, you know, even reading at a higher level, 
uh, grammar in, in many schools today are sort of taught by immersion. You just learn the rules of grammar by being exposed to writing. Right. Um, and you're supposed to sort of just figure it out. And at the end of the day, um, you know, if, if, if you ask, you know, is this correct? A teacher will tell you, well, does it sound correct? Yeah. Now, and that's not really the way things work. Yeah, right. Um, there, there are rules to grammar, and uh, it's the same thing in math. I mean, it's, it's incredible that things have accelerated to the degree that sometimes there are no correct answers in math either. Right. Those are some of the key ways that things are differentiated. Another, another one that I'd be interested in highlighting is the music curriculum um, in, at, uh, at a classical school, um, particularly ours. Um, most schools, you're going to take maybe one music class a week, maybe for a few grade levels. At Cincinnati Classical Academy, we'll have three music classes per week. And that continues all the way from kindergarten all the way through the eighth grade to the point where when you graduate eighth grade, most students will be able to read a sheet of music. They'll be able to understand all the dynamic markings, the staff, the note, the notations of notes and timing, um, and they're all they're all taught to um, um, you know read the music and and use their voice, God's given instrument. Mm. Um, so why why would that be? And it's really interesting when you start thinking about all the advantages, all the benefits of learning music. Yeah. Um, you cognitively, you're learning to encode a very abstract concept into music, music on a script, right. on a score. Um, so that's great for cognitive development. But you also, also learn appreciation of beauty, of uh, emotion and expressivity, um, joy, harmony, um, a lot of advanced concepts. I mean, you get into music theory, you get, you get into some heavy physics. Um, so there's, there's a nice um, uh, mutual reinforcement of, of other aspects of the classical curriculum, which do in, involve um, appreciation of harmony in, in nature. Uh, but, but also, you know, it, it teaches a lot of cultural liter literacy so that when a, you know, a kid hears a, a Strauss waltz during a, a Delta TV, you know, Delta Airlines commercial on TV, they'll know where that comes from. Right. They'll, they'll know what the flight of the Valkyries is when they hear it. They'll know what a Valkyrie is. Um, <laughs> Hell, <you know>? Valkyrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and they'll also learn about history. You know how how music has changed from you know how well. First of all, how music got started. How how old okay. is a piano? How long have pianos been around? Why were they created? Who created the modern day scale? Um, okay. and, and why why did um, different types of music evolved, you know, from, from the Baroque period to the classical and then the romantic and modern periods. And how did that parallel other changes in society that were happening or advances in technology? So it just kind of goes on and on that the number of benefits that you can get from um, learning something in, in depth that we are all naturally endowed with, which is a voice that can communicate and be expressive, um, both positively and negatively. I mean, it's, it's just, I think is wonderful stuff. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that, uh, you know, what was going on in, in parallel to, you know, the type of music that was, uh, that was, that was being played or written at the time. Um, I don't know if I've actually told you about my project uh, Chronicles. It's uh, uh, basically a uh, website for chronicling um, history, chronicling events. 
And one of the reasons why I came up with the idea was because I wanted to see what all was going on in the context of any historical event. And that could be mm-hmm. things that are completely unrelated uh, or at least seem completely unrelated. So to your yep. point about music, um, you know, knowing what kind of music was, was popular or being written during the time of say the Napoleonic Wars, you know, uh, that's really, a, that really provides a cultural lens that you can look through to understand how they might've perceived the events that were going on at the time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We look through our own lens at current events uh, from, you know, again, I, I have the music I listen to. I know the music that's relatively popular. Uh, and, and, and we talk about, uh, we talk about art and culture a lot as it relates to politics, as it relates mm-hmm. to war, as it relates to all of the stuff that we see going on. Uh, and again, it's through a lens that we're familiar with because we're, uh, we're involved in it, right? We're, we're very much, uh, uh, we're, we're seeing it all day long, right? That culture, that, that, that art, that music. Uh, so understanding that again, at a historical level is interesting. Like, I don't know what music was popular during uh, any given historical moment in time. I'd love to be able to know that as, you know, and, and, yep. and, and have that understanding. Because again, it's about having as much as possible, having the perspective of those that lived through those times as much as possible. And that perspective is very much shaped by uh, art and culture. So uh, what about, uh, uh, now that we're talking about art, I'll tell you, that's, it just, it just kind of reminds me of, of how, where we've gone these days with modern art. It's just, <laughs> it's so, it's, it's, it's really just kind of foul. Uh, and well, and it's, you could kind of even say the same thing with music, but yeah. um, to, to your other point, Jed, earlier, where you were saying uh, understanding music theory is, is critical for, for how a, a person is shaped. And that's really true. I mean, especially if you're, wanting, if you're somebody who wants to compose and write music. Uh, and I've, I've, I've been on that side of things too. I, 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 I mean, I used to be in a band and all that kind of stuff and I have mm-hmm. some background in music theory. Uh, I have some understanding of music theory, uh, uh, not a whole lot, but enough to make me, you know, dangerous. <laughs> um, and it really had, it really did help me to write music, you know, because I would try to, I would try to incorporate things that I knew and, and I'm like, here, I don't know what to put in this part of the song. Well, how do I write that? In, right. Um, and that's where I would, that's where I would try to take, uh, and apply whatever I understood on music theory and put into the song. And I was always really happy with the result. Um, and again, same thing with art, art these days is the the modern art (laughs) nonsense is just, it requires, uh, no skill. It's just, let's, you know, I I mean, there was, uh, I remember it was years ago, but, um, the guy that tipped a, uh, toilet bowl over on its side and call it a piece of art you know it requires no skill no 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 discipline no nothing i imagine with classical education there's a different approach right yeah i would i would say so i mean my 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 hope is that um you know this is a, a really tiny tiny piece of you know the start of a new renaissance and you know really learning to go deep in our history and deep into um, a lot of the ideas and the great thinkers um, that, that produced lasting works. And, and that's, that's just one example. You know, if, if you don't, if you didn't, if you've never studied Bach, you know, you, your music, 
career and efforts are going to be wanting. I mean, yeah. take someone like Jim Morrison, you know, and his great piano solos and uh, with the doors. Um, actually, it wasn't he wasn't the keyboardist, but um, I mean, a lot but of that played off of, played off of Bach. Yeah, yeah. It's because he was using a lot of Bach's riffs, you know. Um, but even if you're not into music, you know, you just like country music and you don't know anything about it. Well, if you've studied some music, you'll understand why a country music song is composed the way it is, why it starts with a, a verse and then as a chorus and then a second verse and then another chorus and then a bridge and then, you know, the chorus repeated three more times. Yeah. You know, that, that basic structure was evolved, you know, in the classical era of, you know, Mozart and Strauss um, and Haydn. Um, and, uh, you know, why, why do you hear the same three chords in those country songs? Well, there's mm -hmm. reasons for that too. Yeah, <laughs> that you can learn about, you know. So it's not just about elite and being able to recognize, you know, Beethoven's third versus his ninth symphony. Uh, it's about just understanding the world around you and 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 the country music that your dad's listening to on the on while driving you to school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Again, it's 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 as you say, it's about uh, about from what it sounds like uh, helping someone to become a well-rounded person. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I know people say that a lot and it sounds very cliche, but the reason why it's important is because you never know what you can pull from to, uh, to improve on the thing that you're really focused on. So for example, uh, I'm very much focused on this podcast. Uh, Scott and I both are, uh, I'm very much focused on my project with Chronicles, uh, and, uh, I'm very much focused on, on getting involved in local politics. So I do a lot of work that, uh, that benefits from having a general understanding of the world around me. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have that general understanding of the world around me, I wouldn't imagine I could be as successful as I think I can be. Right. Or, um, uh, or uh, again, a musician, you know, uh, having, having, a, being a well-rounded musician and understanding where your music com comes from, but also understanding the rest of the world around you and understanding the culture that, that really contributes to, uh, to how much absolutely and, and it, it brings up another um, distinguisher of the classical curriculum we we describe describe our curriculum as being knowledge rich or content rich what does that mean that means that we're going to expect students to memorize dates and facts and names and you wouldn't think that would be controversial but <laughs> modern education has totally gone away from that right. um, they, they they consider it too rote they consider it too I don't know, mechanical or, or boring, you know, it's not fun enough. Um, but yeah. when you think about what cognitive development is, you need, you need to have facts. You need to fill your head with facts in order to be able to think. If you have an empty mind, what are you going to think about? What are you going to draw upon? How can you make connections between different things? You right. can't. Um, so, you know, for instance, if, if you, if you just have a student, memorize one date in history a month, kindergarten through uh, eighth grade. I think they end up like with like 89 or something, you know, dates that they've memorized. What, what a, a huge I don't know that I life have that. that would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and like you said, people look at it as dry and boring and maybe it is kind of boring to memorize dates, but the reason why that's important is because you need to understand uh, the order of things. Um, and it's the, right. it really is the only way to do that, uh, because you, 
you can't understand where something comes from if you don't know where in time that it happened. Um, you know, I mean, World War One and World War Two are very much interconnected. So understanding the dates involved with those and why, you know, uh, what led from World War One into World War Two is really important to know. Um, yep. And if, you know, and that's an easy example because, you know, they're uh, labeled appropriately. <laughs> so, you know, which came first, but that just... <laughs> But, but that just illustrates why it's important to know which came first. Um, and the same can be said for any other date in history and why those events are relevant to each other and how they're connected. So I want to get into, uh, again, what you're, what you're starting to set up as it relates to uh, uh, people who may want to enroll and what that looks like for them. Uh, so can you get into some, uh, some details about somebody who is interested in sending their kid to a school uh, like yours, what do they do? What, do, what, is, what does that all look like? Yeah, the, good, good question. There, there's some key aspects here that uh, we need to cover. Um, that um, The first being that this is a, a public school. It's a public charter school. So in Ohio, they're called community schools. What that means is that they're operated independently of the local um, uh, school district. Um, <clears throat> What it also means is that they're free, they're tuition free. So, and furthermore, any Ohio resident can enroll, any Ohio student can enroll. Um, there are other classical schools in the greater Cincinnati area. There's, I think maybe three or four, um, but they're all private schools. So this will be the very first uh, tuition free public classical school. So we're about a year and a half uh, from, from opening. Uh, we're, we're targeting an opening date of uh, fall of 2022. So we're not um, you know, in the enrollment process yet um, that will open up uh, later this year towards the beginning of next year, 2022. But yeah, it's really, it's first come first serve. If we have more uh, students enrolling than we have capacity to serve, then it goes to a lottery. Um, and there's there's a there's some preference given to um, students who live in the school district where where we open where, where we're located, mm -hmm. um, and a few other minor preference preferences. But generally, it's open to everyone. If you live further out, what's the transportation like for the kids to get to school? <clears throat> transportation is a little tricky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because everything dealing with you know the government is 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 more complicated than it seems it should be, yep. um, but but the, the requirement by the state is that the the local um, public school district is responsible for transporting uh, the child to the school of their choice, whether I I believe whether it's a private or public, but definitely if it's a charter school. Um, so if someone lives in the Cincinnati Public School District and um, Cincinnati Classical Academy is located um, in the Princeton School District, then CPS would be required to provide the transportation to the school. Okay, so, so parents would be able to take advantage of uh, the public school system's uh, buses in order to get to your school. Exactly. Yeah, okay. it, it's the it's the public school district's uh, obligation, just as it is to their own students who, who enroll in their own schools. Okay. Yep. There are ways of th that they can get out of it or opt out of it by by paying the school instead. You know, the, the commensurate amount. And as long the, as long as it's within a thirty minute drive. And how how is uh, how is your, the school funded since it's uh, tuition free? 
So it's funded from the um, from the state of Ohio, from the Department of Education, and we're we're paid, um, you know, somewhere in the area of around eight thousand um, dollars per student, um, which is uh, about. It, it, it's on par with what the public school, uh, public school districts get per student enrollment, um, but the public school districts also can you know raise money through tax levies and um, and they also get some federal money, so they they end up you know uh, paying more more on education per student than a than a charter school would. And when they do go enroll, they just they just sign up through the website. That's what they would do. Yeah. So right now we have a uh, a survey on our website. If you go to Cincy Classical C I N C Y Classical dot org, um, there's an intent to enroll survey that someone can fill out. Um, we we would ask any interested family to go there and and complete and provide that information so that we know what the level of interest is and where it's coming from. Um, that's really important for our planning um, of the budget, the school location, various other things. Yeah. So I'd ask people to go there and do that. And they can also go to the bottom of the homepage and uh, sign up for our newsletter. Mm -hmm. That's also, you know, really important uh, so that they can be kept abreast of things as they develop. And you're, uh, uh, it, it says here, and I think you mentioned this earlier, that uh, it started, it's starting with K through six and you'll be adding a new grade level uh, each year uh, all the way up until K through 12 is served. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly right. And the main reason for doing that is um, it, as, you, as you get into the upper grades, the, the content becomes more and more challenging. And yeah. if you haven't had the background foundational um, work, then it's going to be even more challenging. So uh, sixth grade is the grade in, in particular. The, the, the biggest break point is uh, this, the start of Latin that begins in sixth grade and is required sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Um, so, so K through six is a very natural place to start. Do you, uh, do you have any metrics that, uh, you're able to, uh, share or present to parents on, uh, in, uh, uh on basically the, the result of this kind of an education? I, I don't know if it would be like, you know, uh, uh, income or, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so we, yeah. yeah, we can we can look to the other um, Hillsdale affiliated schools. As I mentioned, there's 24 throughout the country. Um, most of them are sort of in the southwest and west, the mountain west and uh, Texas and uh, down south in Florida. Um, and what they've uh, achieved. So, you know, as an aggregate um, is about 14 percent better uh, reading proficiency at grade level uh, compared to the public schools in which they're located and about 5% better on uh, mathematics profici proficiency. They also um, have a 99% uh, uh, graduation rate, and I believe about 75% um, go on to a four-year college. How does that 99% uh, uh, compare to either the Cincinnati public school average or even uh, the, the nation as a whole? I believe I saw statistics about some of the local school districts that are around um, maybe 70 to 85% graduation rate Oof. here in, here in Cincinnati. Um, it, it's going to vary widely, whether you're looking at Indian Hill versus CPS or um, uh, Wynn Woods, but um, 
you know, we're, we're required by Ohio law to be located in a um, school district that's rated as being challenged um, due to having generally low scores on, on report cards, uh, on state report cards. Um, so the, of those challenged school districts, it's, I think it's um, in the range of 70 to 85% or, or worse. Wait, the state is requiring you to be in a school district that's basically failing just because you're a charter school? Exactly. Wow. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. Wow. It's not like that in every state. Every every state right. has very different charter school laws. Sure. Sure. So, mm-hmm. but the fact that Ohio requires you to do this. so, not only is that um, limiting. I mean, essentially, it's bit, it's limiting your opportunity to even organize in the first place. So it sounds almost discriminatory, really, to me, anyway. Wow. That, that you just blew my mind with that because I I've looked into various schooling options for my own kids. And so that, wow. It makes the property search um, yeah. much more difficult. <laughs> that's right. for sure. Yeah. But the, right. the reason behind it is that they're they're considering that, you know, they want charter schools to help fill the gaps of um, communities that are underserved by their public schools. Sure. Um, Which is a good intent. Their, their words, not mine. Right. Right. mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that's a good intent, but I mean, how do they expect you? I mean, how could you expect anybody to be able to establish such a thing if you're already limiting them from the beginning before they can even, Maybe that's the reason. And that's what I, that's kind of what I'm getting to is it it seems very discriminatory in that fashion that they, maybe the state doesn't really want you to exist as far as that because of. Well, it it makes, it makes it much harder for a a school like uh, Cincinnati Classical Academy to succeed because uh, it's, um, it's tends to be more appealing to those who are more traditional and more conservative, uh, more religious. Um, so when a school like this, when the classical academies open in Florida, they have, um, they, they're at maximum capacity in the first year and they've got a wait list, you know, that's just as long. Right. Um, whereas the openings in the mid- Midwest tend not to be, um, that successful. And this is one of the reasons why, but that, but that's, that's, you know, in the end of the day, it, it's okay with me because we, we really, I, I don't want a red school. I want to, I want a school that's, uh, um, filled with kids from all different kinds of neighborhoods for sure as a representative cross-section of our um of our public of our public yeah yeah absolutely yep Mm -hmm. getting back to the metrics too um the thing that's that's interesting to me about that that people should be uh, be keeping in mind is uh the the graduation rates um is can be a misleading number too because if you consider some of these public schools the way they tend to lower their standards when you've got a school that has these higher standards like this classical uh, education uh, schools uh, and still a 99% graduation rate compared to schools that continue, continue to lower their standards and turn out to have a 70 to 75% graduation rate. Um, the, uh, the effective education that they're getting is probably far less than that. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I'm I'm a scientist, so I love numbers, but at the end of the day, and and you can dice these numbers a lot of different ways to make things look better, or they they uh, underestimate how how good things might be, as you're pointing out. Um, At the the end of the day, I think that the difference 
is in testimonials we'll hear from parents and from kids who are graduating from these schools, they are able to hold a conversation with an adult and they enjoy it because mm -hmm. they've, they've been taught with the Socratic method. Um, they've been challenged with, you know, great works and, and they've read the original material mm -hmm. of, of those authors, uh, both in literature and in history and in philosophy. So they're comfortable with complex sentence structure. They have the patience and the sort of wisdom to be contemplative and listen and, and again, have an adult conversation. They don't speak in LOL and, you know, <laughs> WTF or whatever. Right. Um, they're able to articulate re reasons behind their view and be inquisitive and ask questions. So I, I think that that really is the most telling about what classical schools are producing. Well, we're, uh, we're coming to the end on time here. I want to make sure to give you some time to uh, just state anything else that you wanted to say while you're here. Uh, anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure people were aware of about the work that you're doing with the uh, Cincinnati Classical Academy? Yeah, I, th I think the biggest point is that, um, you know, we're, we're, I think it's a matter of justice that we're, we're trying to bring what was once considered an elite private school, even boarding school type of education to the general public. Um, I think for far too long, it's been, you know, just, just the realm Classical education has been the realm of, of only those who can afford it. And if you look at the trends of private school tuitions over the past 50 years, they've increased by, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 percent, while median incomes, yeah, I mean, it's, it's insane. From $1,000 a year to now it's like $16,000 a year. Wow. Um, or, or, or more than that for, for some of them, 25 grand um, for high school. In the, in the same period of time, median salaries in this country have increased by only about 20%. So we're, we're a society that's literally coming apart um, and, and, and segregating itself. Um, and I don't think that that's healthy. Right. And it's really all, it's every individual in society who, who makes it what it is. Yep. And so it's just really important. And that's one of the reasons we're, we're passionate about bringing this to Cincinnati to sort of level the playing field and, you know, raise all boats. Again, I'd, and I'd just like to emphasize anyone who's, who's listening and interested to check us out at cincyclassical.org. Uh, sign up for our newsletter and help spread the word to uh, families and friends who, who have children and might be interested in, uh, uh, in attending our school. Um, fill out the intent to enroll survey on the website. And we are, of course, um, uh, welcoming any donations. We, we get paid um, by the state of Ohio for operating the school, um, but this only happens after the school is open. Um, so we're reliant on, on fundraising to cover the costs of school startup, including acquiring the property and facilities, various consultants, uh, marketing, uh, and staff salaries until the school actually opens. Um, so that's um, pretty much of a heavy lift. And... Um, so, so any donations are, are greatly appreciated. And I would encourage people to uh, uh, read a couple of the essays on our website. Um, there's a few links to a few books. Um, do a DuckDuckGo search and, and learn more about classical education. It's, it's, a, it's a deep well to dive into um, and re very rewarding um, every, every uh, step you take. Yeah, so again, that uh, URL is cincyclassical.org. C-I-N-C-Y 
classical.org. So y'all make sure to check that out. Is there any uh, social media or anything like that that people should like, uh, follow you on? Yeah, there's a uh, Facebook um, backslash NC classical. Awesome. So uh, Jed, thank you so much for coming on. This is, this yeah. is actually really interesting. Uh, and uh, it's really awesome to see that there are people that are stepping up and doing this kind of work. Uh, and it's, you know, especially in the context of some of the uh, discussions that we've been having on this show just in the past few weeks and, some of the just drama that we've been paying attention to with these school boards and, right. and all of that. Uh, it's, it's nice to see that there are options uh, and parents should know that there are options. And uh, I, I imagine there will be a point where uh, uh, these classes will fill up and I hope you guys find an opportunity to expand. Um, but if not, maybe uh, somebody else can, can talk to you about what it takes to uh, start up a classical academy like this. Um, Definitely, I, we're thinking in the same direction. Yeah, so um, I, I, I think I think you guys should definitely be checking out this uh, website and uh, and and get in get involved because this is this is how you do it. Uh, we've yeah. talked a lot about getting local. It's not just about politics even. Um, it's about you know uh, uh, basically rendering the uh, public education system uh, irrelevant. Yeah. And this is a great way to do that, um, if, especially if you're trying to uh, figure out what. Uh, what the best way to provide the education for your own kids. This is a great option to, to look into. So please go ahead and check that out. CincyClassical.org. Uh, Jed, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great yeah. conversation. Thanks, Jed. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I appreciate your interest and uh, this opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this week's interview with Jed. I know we did. It was a fascinating conversation to sit and talk with him. And uh, hopefully we can keep everyone updated on what's going on with his school here in Cincinnati as time goes on. Uh, again, we encourage you to um, support Jed and his undertaking and, and perhaps uh, being able to donate or just give moral support because of the hills that they still have yet to climb, as, as was detailed in the conversation. We also uh, encourage you to take advantage of some of the free resources that were mentioned. Get deeper into classical knowledge yourself. This is an area that for far too long, school, public schools have just thrown by the wayside. I had absolutely zero classical training uh, or classical education in a public school and I went to an A plus rated public school here locally and so I had absolutely no exposure to it until after I had graduated and studied it myself and so these things are extremely important these these things as Jed uh, detailed that this is just about being a good citizen and things like that. Why would public school want to take that out of the curriculum? I can't answer that. And so, uh, as always, uh, we encourage you to get local. We encourage you to get involved and hope that uh, you will support Jed and all that he has to still yet to undertake uh, with the creation of his charter school. But with that, we hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. And we will talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, 
and every other major podcast platform, including YouTube. Thanks for listening. Be sure to come back tomorrow so you can listen to this week's full episode. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to be a part of the show, reach out to us at cancelledoutpodcast at gmail.com. Cancelled Out is produced, directed, edited, and mixed by Scott and Max. All sourcing information can be found on our show notes at chronicles.org or in the link in the episode description on our site, cancelledout.com. Cancelled Out is a Scott and Max production, copyright 2021.